Welcome to Gersmosha A to Z. I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, and this week we're looking at Chuvot relating to H, halachic methodology. Today we're going to look at a few Chuvot that pick up on themes that we've seen in the last two episodes around Rav Moshe's understanding of how halacha works, and specifically look at the fact that, number one, halacha operates based on not just authority, but on svara and on the reasoning and the judgment of a posek, not just citing and being submitting to previous authority. And number two, the fact that halacha is for the individual and not for the whole world. And as Rav Moshe sort of speaks about his hesitancy to publish his Igros Moshe, because that becomes a psak for the whole world. So let's start with this second one, and then we'll circle back to the first. What does this mean that the halacha is for the individual? One thing that it means is that it's deeply rooted in the specific circumstances of the case. And this comes up a good deal when Rav Moshe deals with vote relating to birth control. So let's just look at a few examples of this. Um, in Evan Ezra 164 in 1958, um, specifically, and sometimes this is less about the method of birth control and more about family planning and just the decision to... Uh, postpone or to space children and so on. And he says the following, When a question like this comes, I, 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 I investigate a great deal. Is this really a danger to life were she to become pregnant that can allow, that can give us license to permit a particular form of birth control? And only if they are God-fearing. And very, uh, you know, uh, uh, modest in their ways or private in their ways. A, they're not going to abuse this permission and they're not going to extend it beyond the parameters that I've given. And they also won't let other people know what I've passed. They'll keep it to themselves. So why am I so careful? So the first part is point number one. Psak is for individuals because the circumstances change from case to case. And it's really highly dependent on circumstances. It was known that Rav Moshe says, I don't pask in the Shaila, I pask in the Shoel. It's all about the specific circumstances of the case. But number two is also important about that, uh, that um, how much will people uh, apply it in ways it wasn't meant to have been applied. The individual psak that's being issued, not just issuing something as a broad psak for the whole world. Okay, and so the other people should not come to be lenient, you know, beyond the parameters in which I have set. Um, and therefore he says, I'm all, I very much investigate this case. Um, they shouldn't be more lenient than the parameters I've set, and also that they shouldn't publicize it. And therefore, and also sometimes only for a limited period of time, he says, it's only a small number that I've permitted that have managed to satisfy this criteria, which of course can be very challenging because people might need the permission, but not be, you know, but, but because of his concern that other people will hear about it and it will be applied more broadly, does that mean he won't give the right psak or the necessary psak to this particular couple? So that's a, that's a question. But anyway, it's clear from Rav Moshe, this idea, I paskin for individuals, their individual circumstances, and also sensitive not every psak, but I think he was particularly concerned about psakim about birth control and family planning. People won't want to have, you know, as many kids as he thinks that they should have. They'll be looking for leniencies and so on. Certain psakim should remain private so that they don't get misapplied or abused and so on. Another short example of this is he writes uh, eight years later, Ebenezer 322. He said, Do not publicize it. People should not, uh, like, you know, extend it in more lenient ways and just have an overly lenient approach in ways that are not appropriate. 
But after Nahakti and until now, my practice has been Shalola Anot Bichtab Bidvarim Elu Elke Shabarlai Lish Oba Al Peh that I would not even write it down. I would only give oral psakim. And then I gave them the proper rulings. In this case, you know, it's a big trip to come here to give me for me to give you an oral psak. I guess he, why didn't he do it on the telephone? I don't know. I'll give you a writing. But you should keep it very private. So this is a different factor. This is not just that a psak by its nature is highly dependent on circumstances. This is also a policy concern of how in certain areas where people might abuse it or be looking for leniencies and so on, a posik has to be careful about how public they are with their psakim. Um, and he says something similar, as we've discussed before, dealing with the whole issue about shivanikiyim and can somebody forgo chumad rebizera for the sake of fertility of Puravu in Yerdea 193, where he says, I don't want to write this down, we'll talk about it in person, and so on. And one understands this, you know, the responsibility of a posik um, to take this sort of broader sense of responsibility of a psak being abused and misused and so on. And that obviously these types of things do happen. The cost, of course, is that not everybody knows that this psak is available to them when they really need such a psak, and that can sometimes come at a very high cost. Um, but here are two elements of Rav Moshe's sense about the, it being a private psak, A, really knowing the circumstances, and B, sometimes, and in certain areas, policy concerns about how it might be abused or misused. We now look at a slightly different variation of this issue about private versus public psak in a couple of kuvot that he deals with about journals and why he doesn't publish his kuvot in journals and why he's not happy about people who publish their kuvot in journals. Now, these journals were, for the most part, like Hebrew language journals, um, written also most a lot by the rabbinic elite, uh, but there might have also been journals in English or journals that were more uh, read by the laity. And here's why he says he has deep reservations about this. So one is in Ebenezer 164 from 1958, and this actually is the one we read earlier about uh, knowing the particular circumstances and so on. He also addresses the phenomenon of publishing in journals, and he says, I don't read journals. He says, I just have enough time to read real svarim. I don't read these contemporary Torah journals. And it was, I didn't know that such a serious halachic shayla as the one we're dealing with, um, and particularly in this country, that we have a sense that people are always looking for leniency. So it's a weighty issue in a context in which people are just looking to hear any leniency. And we should treat this thing like paskining about forbidden sexual relations, where you only do it in private and you don't do it in public, it never occurred to me that such a weighty thing in such a context, Hayanidan Biyarchon, would be discussed in a journal. It's like it's like a paskini in front of thousands of people. And people that don't even have real piety, and they don't really aren't serious about halacha. And anybody who tells them that it's permissible, they're looking to hear. The Gemara has a great line about that in a play on the Pasuk of about like necromancy, my people, they ask their staff and, you know, and they ask their, their stick to sort of tell them the future. Umaklo yagidlo, the Gemara says, kol ha yagidlo. 
anybody who will give them a leniency, that's the person that they ask. So Rav Moshe says, this is the context that we're living in, and how can you go ahead and like poskin in public in this type of a context? And this gets to both of the issues he dealt with before. A, we don't know the circumstances of the individuals, and it's not necessarily always true to the circumstances, and B, it could be misused and abused if you're poskining in such a public way and in people that might be looking to uh, apply a leniency that's not really relevant to them. He says, it's not the same as writing in a safer, like writing Igris Moshe. That's a type of a literature that's read only by uh, only by colleagues. That they have the right midot and the right piety. Um, and there you need that discourse. That's what our rabbinic discourse is, learning from one another. But to have debates in journals, it's hard to imagine that this is really being done l'shem shamayim. Okay, and then he goes on to sort of speak about the case at hand. So here Rav Moshe comes up these themes about the circumstances of the case, and, and it's deeply based on that, and also policy considerations about public psakim. One other tshuva about journals, and then we're going to look about his how he responded to a question about publishing his psakim in English and just the bottom line. I think we can sort of anticipate that. But first, another short tshuva about journals. This is from Ebenezer 314, 1966, where the question was something we've seen before about extracting semen for fertility testing. And he says the following. All of the articles that were written in the journals, they're all just like nonsense and made up. It goes against the post And here I believe he's talking about chumras, the people that were stricter about this, the, um, and he's being more lenient, but he, so it's not whether it's just about leniency or being strict, he says, you know, people that are publishing in the journals, that's not a real rabbinic discourse that's open for being the right type of critique and feedback from one's colleagues. And they're even self-contradictory, this, their own citations. And it's really true, you know, when people write in more public fora, they're not really always as careful, and they write things that can more easily have been critiqued, or they written in a more scholarly venue. I've right now written my tshuva what I think, but I do not want to publish them in these journals. Again, repeating his concern that when they are sent out in the public discourse, that it is a very different type of a publication. And he says something almost exactly along these lines in Etuva in Ebenezer 314-1966, in Etuva relating not to birth control, but similarly to extracting semen for fertility testing about how he uh, really is completely against uh, publishing in journals. He writes similarly in Ebenezer 314 from 1966 about a case of extracting semen to be using in fertility testing, also about how he fully rejects publishing and having these debates in journals, which are not given to the same type of a scholarly critique, allows for more sloppiness for people to write things that are not accurate because they're not being written to their rabbinic colleagues, and that also um, allows uh, them to be read and and applied or misapplied by uh, by a broad spectrum of people. So now we turn to how he responded not to the question of others publishing in journals or why he himself does not publish in journals, but somebody who wanted to take his to vote and to write a 
bottom line psakim that emerged from his chuvot and to publish this in English. A little handbook of psakim of Rav Moshe on certain topics. And here's what he says. He writes in Yordea 391, It is forbidden to publicize uh, distilled psakim from Cuba literature, and also to translate them. And he says the following, I'm going to write a longer chuvah, but this is a short chuvah, it's really one paragraph. Somebody wrote a book in English. It's not an abstract question. It took my psakim from Igris Moshe and just wrote the bottom line psakim in some English translation. And this would be forbidden even if it was an accurate translation. Because nowadays, nobody can publish psakim without giving the sources. Maybe he's trying to deal with the fact that Rambam sort of did that. But anyway, nowadays, nobody can publish psakim without clarifying what it's about, the larger context, what are the sources. People have asked me permission. I do not give my permission. And by the way, the uh, actual translation and the summary was not accurate. There are some things that are in error and make people, will make people sin and will mislead people. Even if it was like an accurate translation to sort of widely publicize it, they'll come to make analogies and comparisons, and that will have potential really, you know, serious problems. I fully oppose this. So Rav Moshe here is saying that without fully explaining why, we understand the concern, number one, that if it's an inaccurate translation, obviously that's a problem. What's the problem of an accurate translation seems to be similar to his concern about publishing in journals, that then it would be something that would be sort of too widely spread and people will misapply them, and he really wants to be writing to his rabbinic colleagues, not to the layperson who might come to apply his kuva in ways that they weren't meant to be applied. Now, those are the things that we've seen so far, but in a much longer kuva, he actually spells out a deeper concern about this and about what it means to distill a bottom line psak as opposed to give the whole logic and the reasoning. And, you know, Rav Moshe, nowadays we have a whole phenomenon of like Qvot SMS, like one line Qvot, no reasoning, no Mikorot, just here's the bottom line. And this was something that this phenomenon of Moshe was deeply, deeply against. And it goes back to his question about what is the nature of psak all about? And this he does in a tshuva in Yerdea 438, and he says the following, Begidre Hora'a, regarding matters of, of Psak, and this is from Sukkot from 1983, and he says the following, A Psak that somebody gives is only for the specific case that they've been asked for. Regarding applying it to any other case, that's only as a way of learning, you know, the logic behind it and so on, but it's not an actual psak for another case. It's just a teaching about what my thinking would be and to allow you, a next posek, to decide whether you want to apply that to the next case, okay? And that's the exact opposite of the psak of the Sanhedrin, okay? And now he says, I'm coming here to explain to you what I wrote in my earlier tshuva that I did not want my chuvot to be bottom line summarized and what that's about. 
I did not want some bottom line psakim without the reasonings and the sources. And why is this? So until now we've seen the concern that it'll be you know it'll be misinterpreted and misapplied. But here he gets back to the earlier points he made about what really makes halacha. And he says the following Hatam, why was I opposed to this? So he says, I know that I really, you know, don't know all of Shas and all of Poskim being very humble here, and I certainly don't know all the Poskim. There are some even Achronim I haven't seen. As we said, Rav Moshe, it's interesting, sort of the smaller bookshelf that Rav Moshe has that is ready access or that he sort of, that he really engages in discussing. He does not deal with all the Achronim. So I don't know Kola Torah Kula. So why could I paskin? And I relied on I was responding to my rabbinic colleague and he could look at my reasonings and decide how to paskin. And even though Rav Moshe says, I know that not everybody would actually go into the sources and paskin for themselves. And yes, the Rav that I was writing to might decide, oh, bottom line, here's what Rav Moshe says, that's what I'm going to paskin. Even though I knew that there would be some some who would not actually look into my reasoning, and they would just paskin to the person who asked them, you know, based on my bottom line. He had the ability to look into it. So yes, his responsibility as a rav was to paskin based on how he understood the din. He asked my opinion. I shared him my opinion. He really should be assessing what I wrote and poskining, therefore, based on that and thinking through those issues. Um, but even if he just trusts my judgment, that's also a legitimate psak because he is assuming that he will agree with my judgment. And if it turns out that he winds up looking into it and disagreeing, he can always retract his psak. But ultimately, the psak that this rub gives, who asked me the shayla, is not citing me as an authority. The psak he gives is ultimately going to be based on how he weighs the issue and the psak that he gives based on his weighing of the issue. And look, if somebody doesn't have time, you know, you can say, well, look, the majority of the, I don't have time to go into this question. The majority of posts can say X. And that's like a legitimate move that a posse can make. A posse can sometimes sort of say, I assume I will agree with the majority. I assume I will wind up agreeing with Rav Moshe and sort of give a, you know, a tentative psak that can be relied on because of that assumption with always the ability to reassess and to retract. But ultimately, your psak is not who you cite. Ultimately, your psak is the decision that you arrive at. Provisionally, you can rely on a psak that you assume you'll agree with. And therefore, he says, And beyond that, I don't have any more responsibility. I am not poskining for the world. I'm poskining for the individual. I'm giving my reasonings. Other rabbinim that want to poskin based on this should not be citing me as an authority. They can maybe provisionally rely on my psak, but they really need to analyze it themselves. And I can't control anything beyond that. I have to teach Torah to Klaus while I'm doing people a tova by sharing my halakhic reasonings. If sometimes people will misuse that and maybe just do it the bottom line or whatever and never sort of assess for themselves, that's, I, I don't have, I can't be responsible for that. Because Sakim are really just for the cases you're dealing with. And here he says, even if it was identical circumstances in another case, a psak Irav Moshe gave to Reuven is not at all binding on Shimon. It doesn't matter. The cases could be identical. 
And here Rav Moshe really lays out, and this is something that he develops extensively in a long passage in Dibras Moshe, his Chidushim on Shas, on Shabbos, Simin Yud, where he says, here's the difference between the Sanhedrin and the individual Rav. And there's exactly this difference between centralized and decentralized authority. Sanhedrin is centralized authority. Their role, Sarah Shurf Moshe, is not to deal with individual cases, even though that's the way it appears in the Torah. Their role is to actually give binding interpretation of the halacha for Klal Yisrael. He says it's the exact opposite, or the, the mirror image of that is for the individual Rav. The individual Rav has no authority to paskin for Klal Yisrael. Even a Rav who's accepted by Klai Yisrael, like Rav Moshe Feinstein, only has authority, his psak is only binding on the individual person who's asked him right now. And for anybody else, that's all they can really legitimately do based on that is say, well, if that's how Rav Moshe paskin for Ruvain, I assume that I would agree, I would paskin the same way for Shimon who's coming in front of me. But Rav Moshe's psak of Ruvain is not in any way binding on Shimon. And not only is it not binding on Shimon, a Rav can't actually say, on the authority of Rav Moshe's psak of Ruvain, therefore the, the same halacha should apply to Shimon. Every individual Rav has to paskin on the case that appears before him based on his own conclusion. The most he can do is provisionally assume that he'll come to the same conclusion that the majority of poskim do, that a great gadol does, that Rav Moshe does. But ultimately, and this is an amazing, and again, points to this decentralized reality of psak and multiple halachic truths that we've been talking about. Any psak is only binding on an individual that's in front of you, who's asked you the question, and another Rav can't even quote your psak as some authority because that, the weight of that and the authority of that was limited to that individual. The most they can do is learn from it and maybe provisionally assume that that's what they would agree with and therefore pask in that way based on that provisional assumption. And then Rav Moshe says the following, And here's the multiple truths. Since my psak is only binding on the individual in front of me, anybody else can pask in otherwise in terms of a different case. Somebody cannot override my psak for Ruvain, but somebody can pass in identical situations for Shimon opposite me because that's the truth as they see it. So no matter how great of an authority I am, my psak has absolutely no binding weight for someone else. But the very nature of decentralized authority is such, in contrast to the Sanhedrin, that a posek psak is only binding um, on the individual that's standing uh, before him. And even in, for identical circumstances, there's no binding nature of that psak on anybody else, point number one. And point number two, that even for poskim, to cite other poskim as authorities and to just follow them blindly is not what psak halacha is. And psak halacha is really about every posek assessing and even free to, free to disagree with Rav Moshe, and assessing the evidence and coming to the psak and using the judgment that they feel is proper. And what Rav Moshe will allow, you know, because obviously the phenomenon nowadays is that people just totally cite Rav Moshe as an authority, but if you were to ask Rav Moshe, he would not want to be cited as a binding authority. He would want to say, look at my reasons, think them through, decide if you agree with them. Maybe you can provisionally rely on it if you don't have the opportunity to, or the time to really work it through. But ultimately, if you're doing your job as a posek, then you need to be poskening the truth as you see fit, which is exactly where we started with his hakdama. That is the responsibility of a posek. 
And if every Pesach passes the truth as he sees fit for the case in front of him, then that is legitimate halacha, and there are multiple halachic truths, and every Pesach should be passing the halacha as he understands it. Thanks for listening to Igros Moshe A to Z with Rabbi Dov Linzer. This podcast is brought to you three times a week by Shivat Chovevei Torah. Don't forget to subscribe and check out yctorah.org to learn more.